Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Huzzah! Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? You know mm-hmm. you would. Join us over in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash bones and bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group, which is a delight. I do love our Facebook group, though. They're amazing. It is a great group. It is super drama-free, all kinds of fun. Yes. It's worth it for that alone. I'm just saying. I agree. It is an excellent little community on the internet of (laughs) people who just want to hang out and talk about creepy things and also share memes. Yes. And I will send TikToks. It's true. weirdness. She will, in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, I can't sleep. Which I cannot judge, given my vampire sleep schedule. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, You'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, Opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, season three, episode three. Stick a pin in it. <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts podcast, which, by the way, is about to start recording season five. Yay! Yeah, so excited. And uh, I go by she and her. And I am Natalie from Uber Dark Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. Yay! Yay! So how is you? Oh my goodness, there, there are a lot of things happening in my life right now that I want to talk about and uh, am not going to yet. Um, it's not babies. No babies. I just have to... <laughs> make that very clear to anyone who has been listening to me bounce around recently not babies not babies no i i am sorry to tell you uh but so my birthday's tomorrow i was gonna say <laughs> yay happy yeah. birthday to you happy i turn 39 and i well i act, i don't care about aging so i'm pretty delighted about turning 39 um i still don't have a gray hair yet so you are i may or may not make it to 40 without gray we'll see i would be so my hair is not like i don't have grays i am going to be one of those women with stark white hair cool which i am completely down for 
what I'm not down for is how that's going to happen. Like how that just the growing that out process seems to me to just be a pain in the butt. Yeah. Well, I have a good friend who just has streaks of tinsel in her hair. And at some point, like she has very, very dark hair Mm -hmm. and so do I, but I, the one part of my genetic nonsense that is not just a disaster um, <laughs> is probably my hair genes, which is kind of funny because I don't really care if I have gray hair, but it is just amusing to me that I don't because I feel like I should. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of I have a lot of hair. It's thick. It grows fast. Yeah, uh, you do have a lot of hair. I, I do not have a lot of hair. I have uh, not had a haircut since the pandemic began. And yeah, you've got mermaid hair. I've got long mermaid hair, and my bangs are like basically longer than your regular hair at this point. <laughs> like. It's yeah. banana pants. So at some point, I mean, it's sick of it and probably like, I don't know, maybe just go bob and blunt bangs. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Then we can be matchy matchy. Matchy matchy. Indeed. Can I tell you about something terrible that happened this week? <laughs> she says with a giggle. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it was deeply terrible. Though. Oh, no. Oh, I know what to do. Uh-huh. So... I would just like to say that I have a really, really deep appreciation that, I mean, I I had this before, but now I really, really have it for crime scene cleanup crews. Yes. Because I spent five straight hours cleaning up a dark, congealing organic substance that splattered across walls and fabric and electronics. A lot of electronics. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I elbowed a protein shake that was, that had one drink out of it. And I elbowed it good while sitting on my couch, and it hit the wall behind my couch and exploded all over. And the vast majority of it went directly into a giant surge protector where um, a... We don't have a TV, so we have a projector and a Mac mini and then um, stereo receiver equipment. And I poured a protein shake in all of it. All of it. It, it really, the, my first thought was crime scene when I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I want to blame my cats, but I definitely did it. I was lunging to stop Mr. Big Stuff from lunging at Jack because Mr. Big Stuff was hangry and Jack was being annoying. Um, But, oh man, 
I must have hit that thing just so perfectly. <laughs> oh, God. And it really did take five straight hours to get it even close. And it, oh, protein shake. Don't. It's like thick you, and, but, but at oh. the same time, the thickness probably saved the electronics. I think air drying saved the electronics. <laughs> um, well, actually, I don't know. I none of it's been replugged in, so it's oh. possible that I fried thousands of dollars worth of equipment. I don't know, but the speed with which I jumped up. And I pulled out the couch because the um, uh, surge protector was plugged into a hidden outlet behind the couch. Mm -hmm. So I'm fairly certain I just levitated and then floated (laughs) midair and pulled out the couch so I could yank the, um, the surge protector out of the plug before anything started sparking. And I will say that that surge protector did not freak out before I opened it, but it was just filled. Oh. It was awful. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, yeah. That that does not yeah. sound fun. There My, are videos. Yep. <laughs> on my Instagram stories, uh, maybe I will make a saved um, spot for them because I think they're probably gone at this point. Uh, if you want to see the destruction, yes, yes. So I found out something interesting today. Hmm. I found out somebody died in our house. Cool. Of an overdose. Or not? Uh, it was an overdose. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, it is the Midwest. Indeed. Uh, that rural, sucks. Rural Midwest. Uh, so that sucks. Um, and I was that does like, suck. Yeah. So I'm not sure where in. Um, it was just like one of those passing things where like my youngest was talking to some kid on the bus and she was like, it was a newer student. And she was like, oh, do you live over here? And she's like, oh, no, we live, you know, over here. And she was like, well, why are you honored? Like, why... What does your mom pick you up over here then? And she's like, oh, you know, we, my dad used to, that used to be our house, the red one right there. And she was like, that's where we live. And she's like, yeah, he died from an overdose. And I was like, holy, like super just blunt kid. <laughs> so yeah, just comes running in the door and she's like, mom. And I was like, okay. So. Fascinating. Indeed. But in good news, I have new iMac. Yes, you do. I have not gotten my iPad Pro back from my eldest yet. Uh, but they're absolutely just thrilled to death with their new-to-them iPad. Yeah. Um, and all the accoutrement that came with it. That's um, exciting. But they need to finish their current zine for their senior project. Um, yeah. And then as soon as they're done with that... Uh, I get mine back, and it was really funny because they came in and they, they took a picture of because I have the like it, it is a giant iPad Pro, it is the biggest, um, and, yeah. then, and then they put theirs on top. <laughs> They're like, look at the difference. Um, 
Which That's is really funny. funny. But they wanted a smaller one because they don't like how big. And I'm like, well, mine's not really, it's not really for lugging around to school every day. So, that yeah. That's for drawing on. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the Knit-a-thon, the goal was $150,000 to raise, and we raised over 220000 That's amazing. So, Congratulations. Super fun. Um, I think I mentioned, yeah, I already mentioned my next round. I cranked out a bunch of wire work. Uh, Ouch, that hands. <laughs> Yeah, like Sunday, actually, I had to take a break because my my fa- my fingers were like, because mm-hmm. uh, I was twelve hours straight on Saturday doing it. Um, but that's a lot for wire work. It is, but I'm excited because they will be wa- uh, being worn on the runway for a um, black designers fashion show at Paisley Park. Oh, cool! So, the same person who same used person. them last year. Yeah, and... Uh, they were amazing last uh, year. They made freaking Italian Vogue. <laughs> I'm not surprised, because so, everything about that show was yeah, gorgeous. Just, so I'm excited. And again, that's one of those things. So I've been starting... Oh, this is a good thing. So, uh, I know that we we talked about how we don't, like, do, like, New Year's resolutions and all that stuff. But there's things that we, like, want to focus on. We talked about the energy sure. we're bringing to 2022. Um, and one of the things that <laughs> lady energy, <laughs> lady energy, and yes. one of the things that um, that I've been trying to get back to the last couple of years is like my craftivism roots and and really um, going into uh, into that more. And then I keep coming across like I've gotten on that area of TikTok of black creators that are cr- and men too, like that are crocheting and knitting and and talking about the huge lack of inclusivity oh yeah um, and then and then i had i found a tiktok and this woman was perfect and she was like i am sick of seeing all the not your grandma's crochet and they said and, <sighs> and and she was like you know why why are crafts and it's the whole why are crafts looked at as being less than art when they are art like it's this it's, i wrote an essay on that so uh, at some point mm-hmm. so i feel like i'm i'm heading more in that direction and i have things that i've been you know like but just like doing things where i contribute and help a you know a black designer with their work and and things like that like just branching out and that whole yes it is essentially a craft because i'm crocheting and knitting but i'm doing it with a non-traditional medium and it's being put into fashion which is not just like ready to wear but actual runway which then elevates it somehow to art and how that all art is made with right supplies right so it's like that whole like that is the whole visual of how i think how you look at it right is the defining factor it i don't think it is what you're doing i think it's what you decide it is yeah so i like that because i like like it feels like it's it's reinforcing like what you know what i'm working towards which is good because there was a couple days last week where like i was just overwhelmed as shit didn't want to get it like didn't want to do anything just muddled through the day and now it feels like it's funny because i feel like we're both on the upswing (laughs) 
I sure hope so. Which it's good. And yay. And if you're not on if you're listening to this and you're not on an upswing, uh, remember we are still in a panini. And even yeah. if we weren't, we are all humans and it's okay to not be okay. Our yeah. recent history has been decidedly not okay. <laughs> right? I can't yeah. I can't. You so. know, there's not gonna be avocados, there's World War Three brewing brewing, you know. Just. I think World War Three has simmered down a bit as of this evening. We shall oh, see. thank fuck, because I'm trying not to even pay attention to it, because it's I, I can only process so much at once. Yeah, I think that we should not go down that no. trail. Let's let's, let's just let's shift back over. Up. Let's wrap mm-hmm. it up with yeah. Super Bowl halftime show 2022. Holy shit! Yes. All oh my of goodness. the yes. Uh, my only complaint is that it was not longer. Yeah. And I mean, everyone wanted it to be longer. Right. Well, everyone who was Gen X or a Zennial. Yeah. Those two groups. Nobody else knew who these people were. And that's which what, that's their problem. My kids. Entirely. I, I had to admit, my kids know who most of them were. Um, that's they, good. they did not know Kendrick Lamar. Um, and they didn't recognize 50 Cent. Um, but they sure as hell know Mary J. Blige and Snoop and Dre and Eminem. And also a shout out to Snoop being told he couldn't wear a blue bandana. So he made his entire outfit a blue bandana. Dre being told to edit. Dre did not edit. Eminem being told he couldn't kneel. Eminem knelt. Like just, it was perfectly, like everything. It was so good. Um, and also... Eminem has aged very well. <laughs> I still don't see it. That's okay. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it. I just grew up too close. <laughs> yeah. And was too goth. Yeah. <laughs> at that time. Oh, our town had a Milwaukee had a goth prom this past weekend. That's adorable. And seeing the photos of all my friends going was was super cute and. Yay for them. So, there. We yeah. pulled it back from... <laughs> we pulled it back. From the abyss. From the abyss. Uh, <sighs> you know nothing. who we should also pull back with us? Uh, I don't know. From the abyss? Maybe our fantastic Curiosity Shop members? Yes. In- That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, we would like to thank... Uh, all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on Patreon. This is where we generally give a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome to our newest members. And if you join us today, you'll get a shout out too. It's true. We will... Wait, that that was going to come out creepy. <laughs> I was going to say we would digitally love you up, but that is just... Oh, whatever. That's I'm going to let it ride. I'm keeping it. <laughs> yeah, so... Beautiful, wonderful Patreon supporters, you're the best, and we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Absolutely. And if you want in on the fun, not only will you get some really great surprises, and you'll also get a huge backlog of Patreon-only episodes. It's true. I, I do believe we are recording number 43. Three today, and 44, there are a couple of bonus ones in there. So I think, yeah, I think there might be forty-five or so episodes just waiting for you. Yeah, 
indeed and uh you will get to hear all kinds of all kinds of stuff from uh just at you know more of this but also you'll hear a cat some more some occasional oh, kids my goodness. some very raw stories <laughs> also kidding. true uh but this time we're going to be talking about we're doing our monthly auction oddities um and i found an estate sale entirely dedicated to dolls yes and mine ties in to this week's episode which you will figure out shortly it's true but join us check us out if you don't want to stay that's fine you know, we're not going to force you to stay. If you stick around for a while, have to jump out, jump back in, that's cool. We'd love you to stay forever. But at the same time, we know we're not for everyone. And, uh, yeah, join Don't us. Don't tell them we're not for everyone. Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I don't want to be like, join us. We're being very Midwestern at this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We're amazing. And we're really fun. And you should absolutely join the patreon and have fun with us yeah we're extra fucking delightful over there (laughs) (laughs) yes oh my goodness uh and on that note yes let me tell you about some entomology yes yeah all right so entomology is, as you might know, old school insect collecting. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about herbariums and pressed flowers and seaweed collections already, but our dear creepy Victorians didn't stop there. No, they did not. No, (laughs) no. Um, They were also, among other things, collecting Delicate, beautiful, creepy, crawly bugs. Yes. Yeah. And Victorians didn't come up with the idea of collecting insects. I mean, as long as people have collected things or been interested in how things worked or science. Like, that has been a thing that has been going on. But they certainly brought the, as the kids say these days aesthetics <laughs> yeah it's it's true um which is not a uh never mind i'm gonna <laughs> leave I'm gonna leave it there it's not an adjective guys <clears throat> aesthetics are nouns something is not very aesthetic <laughs> all right i'm done um all right so When you imagine insect collections, you probably picture glass-topped wooden cases with the perfectly preserved specimens that are carefully pinned to a background. You know, everything's orderly and everything's labeled in beautiful but probably illegible cursive and dramatic butterfly wings and iridescent beetles abound. So... You probably all know what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm fairly certain anyone who's ever seen anything that Wes Anderson has done probably has seen uh, a collection of some variety. 
Uh, yes. I love, I love the Wes Anderson aesthetic. Yes. I do. Um, so, there are a lot of different ways to store and maintain these collections. Sometimes they are framed shadow box style and put on walls. Sometimes they're stored in drawers, fitted into cabinets. Sometimes they're part of an academic collection. Sometimes they're the work of an enthusiastic amateur or a habitual collector of strange and beautiful things. Um, the artsy weird kid in your high school probably had at least one interesting bug preserved in a container on their dresser. And they probably thought that it was a metaphor for tragic beauty in a cruel world or something. <laughs> yes. And they were probably right. Um, I mean, sure. Yeah, I absolutely will both roll my eyes and agree. Because I was for sure that kid. And I get to roll my eyes knowingly at myself, but also kind of agree with me. Um I am personally more of a flowers, plants, and weird rocks kind of collector, but I do also like articulated skeletons and also very much alive and thriving cats. <laughs> um, I do seem to collect those as well. So I don't think I want to create my own specimen boards, but I'm certainly interested in looking at antique examples especially in, like, library or university archives. And I'm not necessarily opposed to acquiring um, antique specimens. I just... I don't tend to kill things. And generally speaking, people who are collecting specimens generally collect live specimens because that's the way to get the most complete specimen that you can. That's and, true. And I get that. So I do, however, have my own tiny insect collection and it contains one specimen which I think is a jewel scarab beetle. Ooh. Yeah, that my best friend picked up for me in an oddity shop in a small town in France. Because why go in half measures when you can fully embrace your eccentricity? Um, yes. I will say that she elected not to get me a wet specimen due to carry-on restrictions. <laughs> Uh, but the fact that she even considered it is exactly why I love her, because she is not necessarily that variety of strange, and that she was like, ooh, I'm in this old French town. There seems to be this shop filled with specimens. Better go in there and buy Haley a Christmas present. And, and she did. That's perfect. So, Yes, and so uh, I am pretty excited about someday casually mentioning that particular story because I, I like things with the background, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
to my little nephew when he at some point inevitably notices the pretty bug in the teeny tiny bell jar on his weird auntie's shelf. <laughs> because at some point, there's going to be, ooh, what is this shiny? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's in this, it's mounted in this teeny tiny little bell jar, and it is, it's beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. And it's definitely an antique, and I know absolutely nothing more about it because it came out of a weird oddities shop which in a small town in france <laughs> which is like the best part of the story it's yeah. journey to you is the best part of the story i agree me. i definitely agree um so i have a single very very beautiful iridescent jewel scarab beetle and that is the extent of my personal entomology collection as far as i can remember i do not think i have anything else oh you know what that is not true i have either dragonfly wings or cicada wings encased in stained glass oh. um, in one of my ceremonial daggers pretty cool i have a yeah i have a dead daddy long legs carcass up in the corner of the room and the guy can't reach with the broom that's the extent of my collection (laughs) it happens um but i happen to also know that those wings were ethically collected from already dead creatures because that happens to be one of the things that the creator who made them is passionate about. Yes. Um, so. Which I like. I like the the thought of taking a part of nature that is no longer alive and memorializing it in something pretty or functional or art. Yeah. And exoskeletons are way better at not deteriorating than soft tissues. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So I had forgotten when I started doing this research that in my first book, Improper Cross Stitch, I had made an entomology-themed pattern. Now, I didn't make this pattern that way on purpose. It started out being just a cute butterfly in a jar and about half of the patterns in that book are cute things and about half of the things in that book is swearing i mean it's (laughs) sexy yeah it, it goes in multiple directions but for whatever reason this particular pattern um the editor didn't think that it was edgy enough and so I it didn't necessarily make sense to me. I mean, it was true. Mm-hmm. It was a butterfly in a jar. But um, so I added a sign behind it that says butterfly mounting class 2 p.m. <laughs> and entitled the pattern that escalated quickly. 
So, <laughs> should you um, feel inclined to have some entomology cross-stitch, improper cross-stitch is here for you, as it turns out. But enough of touting my own damn book. Um, just a couple of additional anecdotes about entomology invading my life, because it has done that a surprisingly large number of times. Um, and this is a warning. You are about to get smacked with some very early aughts Brooklyn hipster. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So in the early 2000s, well, I'm mid, mid aughts, I guess. Um, my Brooklyn kickball team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, there was a kickball league. Yeah. We were the otters. Nice. And uh, our cheer was otter, otter, otter. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, we okay. had t-shirts. There was an entire league. We played oh, we every Sunday. Leagues. We had kickball leagues. I just think it's, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my kickball team went hike in, hike out, camping in the New Jersey water basin mm. one weekend. I am not an outdoor cat <laughs> so imagine if you will but whatever it was my kickball team and we were gonna be drunk let's face it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we had a site that was overlooking the new jersey water basin which is a protected waterway that is where new york city drinking water comes from and you're not really supposed to get in it. <laughs> um, we absolutely skinny dipped as yeah. a team. <laughs> but whatever. We are we are creatures. Creatures hang out in water sometimes. So it's fine. Also, water processing plant. Whatever. <laughs> um and we didn't get arrested, so That's hooray. Yeah. yeah, we managed to miss all of the police boat rounds. Nice. Anyway, so while we were doing this hike, one of the members of my kickball team was an entomologist and took that opportunity to bring a bunch of equipment to acquire different beetle specimens. Okay. And he was super, super excited about all of the different varieties of what would look like to any of us a normal beetle. But there were so many different kinds and things he'd never seen before. And he would point out to us like, what was interesting about each of these beetles? And it was just, it was kind of neat. Um, because, you know, whenever somebody is knowledgeable and enthusiastic about something, mm -hmm. it's really easy to be interested in the thing that they are enthusiastic about. So, uh, 
I feel really great that I was not sharing a tent with him. <laughs> yep. Uh, but it was it was kind of cool to have our own personal insect scientist in the middle of the woods. That um, is very cool. Yeah. And I suppose in an extension of that, there are two main types of collectors academics and amateurs and the on the academic side the entomology collection housed at the smithsonian here in the u.s contains 35 million plus specimens and is one of the largest collections in the world Um, and in the words of the smithsonian taken from their uh sort of entomology landing page is with over 35 million specimens the smithsonian insect collection is one of the largest entomological collections in the world specimens and their associated data are used as the basis for original collections based research on the taxonomy life history geography and evolutionary history of insects arachnids and myriapods the collections are worldwide in scope and include large holdings of medically and agriculturally important species, making parts of the collection especially significant as sources of research to the evolutionary relationships and identification of insect pests. So, this collection is out of control. That is huge. Yep. I, so I linked to the Department of Entomology at the Smithsonian and found a video where you can take a virtual tour of the collection. Oh, um, okay. Which oh, is very that. neat. Yeah. And there's definitely, I've linked both the entomology landing page and the YouTube video that is the virtual tour of the collections. But in addition to that, once you click through the, like, public-friendly facade, mm-hmm. you can search the Department of Entomology Collections Ooh. and, like, for real, for real. So, like, you can search the primary type specimens catalog or search the specimen inventory or search the species inventory or the illustration archive. Um, so, like, it's just... That's where I'm going to spend really, hours. I'm going to spend yeah. hours going through all that. Oh, you would just get lost. And so I don't think that I could say it better than they do. So this is how they describe the actual scientific collection. Mm-hmm. Um The U.S. National Entomological Collection traces its origins in part to the acquisition of the U.S. Department of Agriculture collection of 138,000 specimens that was donated in 1885. 
These specimens became the foundation of one of the world's largest and most important accessible entomological collections, with over 33 million specimens taken care of by the combined staff of three government agencies, the Smithsonian Institution, the Systematic Entomology Laboratory, uh, which is apparently... Agricultural Research Service and the United States Department of Agriculture and the Walter Reed Biosystematics Unit, um, which is also known as the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research. Yes. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, Yeah, so approximately 450,000 records are currently available in the online catalog including genetic samples and the primary type specimen and species inventories. And so um, you can look at both images and data about published scientific illustrations and also the species that they're attached to. Um, it is... Which is fascinating to me like i love i love all of that and i think that it's so easy for us humans to forget about how necessary insects are to any biodome like any anything i mean it's it's and they they do so many different things i it just it's so It's so cool. And it's got to be a lot harder to discover and hunt and search for given the sheer tininess. Well, I mean, obviously, if you're like in Australia, they're going to be the size of your head because everything is down there. But um, (laughs) but like the tiny it's it's hard to hunt down the tininess, you know, and to be able to look at like larva and be like, that's what this is. Like even I remember when I was I hate mosquitoes, hate them. But I think it's amazing to, I've seen them, like, grow in jars of water. Like, it just, yeah. the life cycle is amazing. And I mean, that's why you have people who specialize. Like, nobody specializes in general entomology, as far as I know. Oh, yeah. Because you couldn't. I mean, like, the guy on my kickball team specialized specifically in north american beetles i think i could hang Um, with beetles or moths or butterflies i don't think i i could handle spiders i don't spiders don't scare me Mm -mm. um nope 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 no nope but like uh yeah anything in the mosquito i probably wouldn't be real good at the yellow stripey either i want to like stab you with my butt or i'm just trying to pollinate this thing like all of those, I probably wouldn't do all that. Anything great with. of a wasp variety, yeah. I could, I could avoid. But um, yeah, so I just I really love that this data is available, yeah. and it actually says in the description, like it gives recommendations for how you might search. And so you can restrict your research to specific scientific names or precise locations or um, 
just within genetic samples or just within primary type specimens. Like there are so many different ways that you can sort the data and it's available to you just right now. You could just go do that. And they say that the search results are limited up to 5,000 records, but if you need to retrieve a larger record set that you can contact the Department of Entomology's Collection Information <laughs> Manager. Um, and, like, this is an actual re scientific research tool, but it's also something that I can look at or you can look at. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Yeah, and I, I just think that's really cool. Um, let's see. So at some point in the future, I might dive further into individual academics and the building of some of the more famous collections. But I sort of got pulled into different like literal collection, like collecting of specimen um, sources rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. So I am going to tell you a little bit about what you need to start a specimen collection of your own. Because as it turns out, entomologists are really enthusiastic. <laughs> especially academic entomologists and the departments of entomology at large schools really want you to collect bugs <laughs> i just i just think of the two guys in silence of the lambs <laughs> oh dear i've never seen silence of the lambs oh really oh i will have to send you just that clip okay i think thought that when I decided to go down the oh how do you collect insects rabbit hole mm -hmm. that I would get like a beginner's guide <laughs> or something amateur specific mm -hmm. but nope uh UC Davis I know has done yeah ha has done video guides for collecting insects with each video being less than 90 seconds and wow. the entire video series in a playlist and it starts That's with amazing. yeah <laughs> it starts cool. with hand collecting yeah um which is exactly what you think it is using an aspirator which is mm -hmm. i mean you know sucking things up or blowing things into um, ground collecting, aquatic collecting, using nets. There's an entire video on how to kill insects. Oh, okay. Um, which I, I decided not to read it. I already know what the answer is, but if you need to know what the answer is, go ahead. Mm. Um, I, no thanks. Um, there's a video on pinning how to point mount which is the thing that most of us think of when we think of stick pins and foam collections. core <laughs> mm -hmm. how to label things how to 
spread them, how to store and display properly. Like there is just this huge collection of very, very specific knowledge on exactly how to do every step of this, which is very, very cool because this is. is like an academic institution telling you how to do it right. Right. And in short digestible chunks. Yeah. And they want the public to be interested in that. So um, it they do say that many locations require permits for collecting insects. Really? Um, I did not know that. Yes. Uh, I'm guessing that it's probably talking more like, like nature uh, national parks and things like that. Um, so it says to check with local authorities, park rangers, park managers before collecting specimens and because insects sort of live everywhere all the time, Mm -hmm. they specifically tell you some of the best places to look for different kinds of insects. So under rocks and boards. Um, and then it reminds you to replace the rock or board after you've looked um, on the leaves of plants and visiting flowers or fruit at lights at night in the water, especially if there are lots of plants there and at various sources of bait. So, you know, like flies attracting food, stuff like that. Or wait, food attracting flies, not the other <laughs> way around. That would be kind of funny. I'm just imagining, like, potato salad with wings. Yeah, yeah, so there's so much information on what you need. And then uh, both UC Davis and then Texas A&M have very, very thorough information on the types of tools you need and specific instructions on how to get the proper equipment and what that equipment is, which is very cool. So there's a whole list on um, the UC Davis site and on the Texas A&M site. And the Texas A&M site that I'm linking to is specifically insects in the city. So (laughs) it sounds like it should be like some kids show in sex in the city i don't think i realized that saying that out loud (laughs) was really a sex in the city joke yeah so there we go (laughs) i having only seen one episode i cannot comment yeah but yeah so i like that you can focus very specifically on insect activity in wild spaces and also insect activity in very, very deeply inhabited spaces. Um, So I just, I thought that that was very interesting. And so if, if you are interested or maybe you're a parent with kids who want to start getting a closer look at things you can get like um jars with magnifying lids built in so 
like you don't have to keep anything if you don't want to you can just catch things and get a closer look actually Um, i think that dollar tree gets some of that stuff in not as that it's the most extensive or scientifically you know but it's it doesn't need to if you're just looking at it i remember they had like a whole little bug collection kind of thing it kind of reminds yeah. me of, of what you get in Animal Crossing when you're collecting your bugs. Like, just a little net. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but I did, when I was a kid, have, I think Fisher Price made it, and it was a bug collecting kit. Ooh. And it had, um, like, swing out drawers with air hole perforations that you could put different specimens in. And um, it had on... Um, a net clipped into the top and then the back had all of these different tools that were um, like magnifying glasses and tweezers and like basically the entire list of things that the That's so all fun. of the collection sites tell you. And yeah, my dad and I used to go out into one of the local um, probably state forest, I guess, in Michigan when I was a little kid and I would collect rocks and minerals and caterpillars. <laughs> nice. Oh, I love a good caterpillar. Yeah. So it was, it was fun. Um, and I kind of had forgotten about that until just now. And now I kind of want to see if I can find that set just for nostalgia's sake. Um, That's so, very cool. Yeah, uh, in the show notes, I have linked to all of the database information for the Smithsonian and how to search the collections and also the how-tos from UC Davis and the city how-tos from Texas A&M. And I also put a link to scarab beetles in case you would like to know what Very mine cool. looks like and I'll probably also put it on the Instagram. I but like scarab beetles. There's something about them that I like. They're otherworldly. Yeah. They like, they a bug that is kind of metallic. What? Kind of metallic but at the same time they seem ancient in a way like it just I mean the and they've been in jewelry and like they I think it's my whole Egyptian thing. (laughs) It is your whole Egyptian thing. Um, I was going to let it be, but yeah. Yeah, no, Mm -hmm. as I I, I talked myself right into the hole, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, So that is just an overview of entomology and how to get into it, if you want. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. It's kind of funny because uh, you did the how to get into, and I took the giant topic of oh taxidermy, and mm-hmm. specifically narrowed it down to a type of, and then one person. Cool. So I am. But the one person you picked is a heavy hitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, indeed. Like I am ridiculously excited to talk about uh, my favorite taxidermist. Who is Walter Potter? Now, I'm going to preface this with the fact that I know that while he is my favorite, he is absolutely 
not considered a super skilled taxidermist by pretty yeah. much everyone. And that's fine. Uh, but he's interesting. Right. Also, if you're listening to this, odds are you are familiar with the uh, the correlation uh, of like the fascination of killing, dissecting, etc. animals at a young age. Uh, and the correlation of that being a fairly big red flag for further potential serial killer tendencies. So I, yeah. just, I just want to remind you that this is um, Victorian times where people ate mummies. And also he was known by all to be just an incredibly kind man. And none of the animals used in any of his pieces were killed for the purpose of being taxidermied. Okay. Now that's, that's out of the way. Very important. Just, mm -hmm. I, you know, gotta, gotta lay that down. Um, so Walter was born July 2nd, 1835 in Bramber, Sussex, England. The Potter family ran the White Lion Public House in Bramber. Uh, and not a lot is known about his early life or pretty much just him in general outside of what he did. Um, it's... Yeah. He left school at the age of 14 to work at the White Lion for his family. Um, and at 15, he began taxidermy as a hobby in the workshop above the stables. His first taxidermy project was an attempt to preserve his pet canary's body. And it, it happens. was all kinds of poorly executed. But that did not deter Walter one bit. Uh, Walter told the story of how this led to bigger things for him to a correspondent from the Idler magazine in 1895. Hmm. Well, after I'd done my canary, people encouraged me to persevere. If they saw any animal or bird they thought I would like, they'd bring it or send it to me. At last, I got, uh, at last I get the idea of putting a case of birds together to illustrate the history of Cock Robin. It took me all my spare time over six or seven years. I used over a hundred specimens of British birds, including, though not actually necessary to the story, the cuckoo, nightingale, goldfinch, hawfinch, bramblefinch, and buntings. I also threw in a few butterflies. The bull himself was... <laughs> just I threw in a few butterflies. So the bull himself was the most difficult of all. As last i bought a model as it was impossible to get a real bull however small into the case when i had bought my model it hadn't had any hair or skin so i got a calf skin cut the hair off and stuck it on the model with glue <laughs> when i had finished my cock robin <laughs> cage i was living at the castle hotel here and exhibited in the garden baller all the young ladies from school here came to see it and one of them took off her hat and collected a few shillings for her, from her companions. From, Why? From, from that time on. Please don't kill me, sir. <laughs> right? From that time, I gradually began to keep a collection. I never thought when I started to make a museum, but the thing gradually grew itself. Soon, I began to want more room. My father had a new tea shed put up in the garden, and so I used that as a showroom. And if you look, I have included a photo of it's it's hard because it's small because it's such a big thing and then a little zoomed in thing so it was uh, again he was 19 and this is it it all kind of yeah. clicked 
when his sister Jane showed him an illustrated book of nursery rhymes that had a lot of anthropomorphic an- like animals in it and stuff. There's um, a lot going there on. There is a lot. Uh, so this it included the well-known poem, The Dead and Burial of Cock Robin. And that prompted him to produce, which is his most famed diorama. True to the poem, uh, there is a rook with a white collar and a prayer book. Um, and that acts as the parson. A dove is the chief mourner. And the bull tolls the bell of Bamber Church painted in the background, making the churchyard the same as that in which Potter would eventually be buried himself. The whole scene, which included as he, uh, he said over 100... Most sources cite the number 98. Either way, a shit ton of British birds. Um, and it's housed in a large glass display case with a triangular roof and buttons mounted on the front, each of which, when you push, lights up a verse of the poem. Oh, and that, my. Yeah. So that, that pretty much became the centerpiece of the museum. It went on display in the summer house in 1861 behind his parents' inn, and it was such a huge success that people, he started receiving commissions to create taxidermied animals for wealthy Victorians. Uh, and before long, he discovered that he could make a living via taxidermy and at the same time fund his passion for his more creative dioramas for which he was to become famous. I see. Uh, Potter continued creating his dioramas and expanded into new premises, likely to have been in Bramber as well. And in 1880, Walter Security specially constructed building, which soon had to be extended to include other unusual exhibits from the animal kingdom, such as a four-legged chicken and a two-headed lamb that personally gave me total Damien Hirst vibes when I first saw it. Which, interesting side note, I had to come back to this part because as I got deeper into my research... It Mm -hmm. turns out that when the museum closed and the items were put up for auction, a bid of one million pounds was offered by Damien Hirst. I feel unsurprised. And for the entire collection and had apparently been rejected by the auctioneers. And the owners of it sued Bonham's auction house, arguing that the offer should have been accepted, which in reality, it really should have. Because not only would it have kept it together... But it actually would have received more than the auction itself received inevitably, which we will get to. Um, but shortly after the auction, Hearst wrote The Guardian, citing some of Potter's limitations at a taxidermist, saying, you can see he knew very little about anatomy and musculature because some of his taxidermy is terrible. There's a kingfisher that looks nothing like a kingfisher. Well, fuck you, Damien. Um, but he did also show appreciation for the displays in his own Damien Hurst way. Uh, my own favorites, he said, are the, these tableau. There's a kitten's wedding party with all these oh boy. kittens dressed up in costumes, even wearing jewelry. The kittens don't much look like kittens, but that's not the point. There's a rat's no. drinking party to which puts a different construction on wind in the willows and a group <laughs> of hamsters playing cricket. At the auction, or about the auction, her said, I offered them a million to, to pay for the cost of the auctioneer's catalog just for them to take it off the market and keep the collection intact, but apparently the auction has to go ahead. It is a tragedy. Um, and it is kind of a tragedy, but at the same time, Damien Hearst is kind of an ass. So it, uh, 
As his museum expanded, Potter married a local girl, and Stringer Mazel, and they had three children, Walter, Annie, and Minnie. All thrived as the museum grew in size and popularity, coming to be known as Mr. Potter's Museum of Curiosities, and hailed as a world-famous example of Victorian whimsy. All right, at, sure. At the peak of its popularity, special coat trips were laid from from Britain or from Brighton, and the museum drew such large crowds that the village then had to um, have an extension built on the platform at Bramber Railway Station. Huh. Sadly, Walter suffered a stroke in 1914 and never quite fully recovered. Uh, he died in 1918 at the age of 83. Hmm. He was buried in Barber Churchyard in the little village in West Sussex that he pretty much never left. Um, his museum, which by that time contained about 10,000 specimens, was taken over by his daughter and grandson. The hmm. Victorian enthusiasm for stuffed animals, though, kind of started to wane in the museum's later days. And it came under, like, having to deflect claims of animal cruelty by, like, displaying notices stating that all of the animals had died naturally. And, and including a sign that, that said, in any case, they were all over 100 years old. <laughs> that is very, very true. The kitten wedding scene was the last created by Potter in 1890. Oh, boy. And it was shown at the Victorian Albert Museum in 2001 as part of the Victorian Vision exhibit, exhibition. Hmm. Now, I kind of just whipped through his life, um, which, you know, his, he, he was just a, known for being an extraordinarily nice man. People would bring their stuff to the pub or ship it to him. Had a lovely family. They had, you know, it was just... Um, had he not been known for this, it would have just been like a delightfully normal British life. Um, but now I'm going to dive into just the museum a little bit and some of its okay. glorious contents. Oh, boy. <laughs> so <laughs> Potter created amazing scenes um, of which were a rat's den being raided by local police rats. <laughs> <laughs> a That's amazing. <laughs> A village school featuring 48 little rabbits busy, busy writing on tiny little slates, while the kitten's tea party displayed feline etiquette and games of croquet, and 20 kittens attended a wedding wearing little morning suits or brocade dresses with a feline vicar and a white surplice. Uh, and well, huh. Potter's skills, like taxidermy skills themselves, may be considered... Oh, mediocre. His attention to detail was definitely to be noted. Like, the kittens and That's the wedding true. scene all have frilly little knickers underneath their formal attire. So, like, they are fully dressed. Um, Somebody sewed tiny kitten knickers. Yes. Just saying. Frilly ones at that. So. I mean, if you're gonna sew. Yeah. Underpants for kittens, I feel as though you you damn well better make them frilly. Right? Just so you can kind of get a sense of size, the kitten's tea potty, party, not potty, party, <laughs> <laughs> was housed in a 62 
by 73 by 24 inch glass front cabinet and contained 17 taxidermy kittens with oversized glass eyes sitting around an elaborately laid table pouring tea and offering each other cake and tiny little china plates while 20 other kittens enjoyed themselves to the side some playing croquet some watching the game underneath little parasols and one riding a bike i stuck huh. photos <laughs> in the in the little notes oh. there oh goodness <laughs> in another the earrings on the kittens Seriously. i feel is a bit more than I need. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. There's a lot in all of the things. Uh, in another tableau, there's 18 red squirrels playing cards, gambling, smoking, and drinking in their little Victorian clubhouse. And there are some that have movement when the buttons are pressed, uh, including a monkey that smokes. It's it's cussing delightful. I mean... <laughs> So does it actually smoke or does it just make motion? It just makes motion. Uh, oh. Rather than go. I mean, you never know. Right. Uh, <laughs> so rather going in, rather than going into detail on like each one, I've included a couple of really well done photo galleries for you to take a look at in the show notes. And I highly recommend checking out the 20 minute documentary, like documentary that I included as well. It's free on YouTube. It is actually by the author of the book on him and I've linked to all of that stuff um and includes like uh between him and two other people like a a a big chunk of the collection um and it's interesting uh so beside his taxidermy scenes though Potter's collection did contain like numerous other natural curiosities like horns skull teeth mounted fish and pickled specimens mm. and also like various human artifacts like from like a array of countries like shoes pottery ivory bracelets and a pair of bali puppets in the form of a winged antelope and a dragon all of which were just kind of lovingly sent to him uh, huh. his collection of avian subjects were particularly impressive both in the fact that they seem to be the best taxidermied by professional opinions, but just a massive sight. So he had Merlins, peacocks, a peregrine falcon, blue tits, great tits, that's a lot of tits, great tits, and a lesser spotted woodpeckers, partridges, herons, a pink footed. Thought you were going to say lesser tits because, <laughs> right? I mean, you had great tits, you've got to have. <laughs> slightly less great tits (laughs) a pink footed goose canaries Mm. albatrosses in flight golden eagles golden plovers a scarlet ibis a green woodpecker australian songbirds magpies and owls an alexandrian parakeet a kookaburro and a penguin just to name a few wow Potter also prepared all manners of beasts from weasels, polecats, and foxes to buffalo, tigers, and bears, as well as a platypus, the snout of a crocodile, and a rare taxidermied snow leopard in a seating position. He also created a monkey riding a goat, and it's my favorite. Uh, but... <laughs> Okay. 
I just learned about pygmy marmosets. Oh. Nice. And so now all I can think about is like tiny finger monkeys. Oh, yep. That's riding any anything. Yeah. Uh so this is another thing that I find nearing that is probably not something most normal people would find nearing. Hmm. But he provided a home for all the freakish animals that right. were born and obviously genetic deformities and didn't oh. make it. But he he gave them a home and a life beyond, which I'm sure seems weird to other people to think that that's kind of great but i think it's no, it makes like my heart that. happy that they you know so i already mentioned the two-faced lamb but she actually really did a good job on that one um walter's collection also included a pickled siamese pig in a jar several okay several ducks with more legs tails and eyes that i could count uh same with piglets and kittens there's a two-headed cat there's a cat that has two bodies, but one head, a multi-headed calf, again, Damien Hurst vibes, um, and a rabbit that had multiple heads, a two-faced puppy, and a lamb that has seven legs and two bodies. Wow, that lamb was busy. Right? Um, the following account of Potter's Museum is taken from Animal Fantasy, The Taxidermist of Bramber by Derek Hudson, published in Saturday Book number 13 in 1953. Saturday Book? Yes. Just called That's Saturday adorable. Book. <laughs> the first impression of the interior of the museum is a glorious Victorian jumble of odds and ends. Stuffed birds and animals abound, including a number of freaks. There is even an enormous koipu rat, 40 inches long, which was shot on the bank of the River Adour near Bramber. As it is native of South America, the supposition is that it disembarked from a boat carrying timber at Shoreham and was exploring the neighborhood. An alarming apparition! But I soon forgot the rat in the contemplation of some old musical instruments, a length of telephone cable, an albatross, a Siamese war saddle, butterflies, beetles, boomerangs, the front foot of an Indian elephant, made into a waste paper basket, and 12 engravings of the Wandering Jew by Gustave Dor. As the eye accustomed itself to the rich, inconsequential mixture, the major works of Walter Potter, about a dozen of them in their showcases, gradually detached themselves from their surroundings. I became aware of a whole new world of fantasy in which kittens played croquet with fastidious enjoyment, squirrels <laughs> gravely drank wine and ate nuts, and a rabbit frowned over their slates, a rabbits flowned over their slates in the village school. Which, My goodness. The <laughs> the museum closed in 19 or closed in 1970s. Um, and after being moved to Brighton and then Arundel, it was finally sold in 18, 1984. To the owners of Jamaica Inn, Bolventor Cornwall, where it attracted more than 30,000 visitors each year. Hmm. The death of their taxidermist and economic considerations sapped the venture of its viability. And when a buyer to maintain the collection intact did not come forward, 
but yet it did with Damien Hurst. Uh, it was right. auctioned uh, by Bonham's Auction House in 2003. Uh, in total, it realized over 500,000 pounds, which is... 752,340 pounds in today's money, which translates to pretty much a little over a million dollars. So again, they would have gotten mm. more money had they taken Damien Hurst's um, bid. So I don't know. The kitten's wedding was sold for... I think somebody just didn't like Damien Hurst. I mean, I can... That's fair enough. Uh, the kitten's wedding was sold for 21,150 and the death and burial of... Cock Robin was the highest selling item of the sale, raising 23,500 pounds. The white... That's a lot for bad taxidermy. But it's more than about the taxidermy. Oh, I know they are. <laughs> they are <I> marvels. <laughs> the White Lion Pub, home of Potter's Collection, has now been renamed the Castle Ho Hotel... And another interesting note as I wrap this up is that people often ask if Beatrix Potter was related to Walter. Mm -hmm. um, because if you look at her illustrations, there's a lot of similarity in the right. work that he's done. While there is no proof that she did, um, Beatrix, who was born July 28th, 1866, and died mm -hmm. December 22nd, 1943, could have very well taken a train to visit Water Walter Potter's original museum in Bramber, which means Beatrix, who published her first book, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, in 1902, might have been directly influenced by Walter Potter's works from a visit to his museum, or she could have simply picked up the popularity of anthropomorphic taxidermy in the Victorian society at the time. I like to think that he had that impression on somebody else, and... It carries yeah, forth. Yeah, me too. So that is a very quick jaunt trying to be as delicate as possible <laughs> with my... You were very delicate. With... But also, these are truly ridiculous. They are. Pieces of art. They are. They. I, I will be the first to admit they are ridiculous. Um, and initially, and again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to look at because, I mean, I collect cats as well. And the thought of kittens, mm. you know, it's sad. But at the same time, those kittens were probably stillborn. And now they have a life and they've lived on in a piece of crazy pants artwork. Dead by some, done by some little dude that led a quiet life in England. I mean, good for him. <laughs> good for him it, it is it is pretty fascinating i think so i also find it fascinating that his work seems to be directly opposite of who he kind of was like yeah. he looks like this big old grandpa like jolly dude super nice guy like just kind of quiet and reserved and not super you know, and then, you know, he creates these things. So I love that juxtaposition of art versus artist in this case. Yeah, I mean, the several of his pieces, I think, including the kitten wedding, 
one were at the Morbid Anatomy Museum at some point fairly recently um, near me. I didn't get to see them, but they had, because I don't leave my apartment, but um, they had a bunch of different um, posts about it um, on social media and stuff, and they just, they are fascinating. You could look at them and just continue seeing new things for a very long time. Absolutely. And he, from what I have read, he kept, like, every, a lot of these animals came with stories, especially, um, like, the monkeys, who are not, clearly not native to England. Um, so he knows what happened to them, and he knows, like, the story behind them, and, um... And I like that. You know, there's a there's a sense of respect in there, even though at first glance, <laughs> you might not expect that there is. But yeah, the, I mean, there's there's just a lot going on. There is a lot going on. There is indeed. It's true. Um, but yeah, definitely go if you have not seen them. Go look because <laughs> wow. So, I think, speaking of all this death, that it just might bring us to <gasps> the weekly, weekly worst way, way to, to die. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, discordant as always. Yes, indeed. Um, so, what's yours? Mine is accidentally falling out of a boat and being washed ashore only to be slaughtered by natives that have never seen someone like me before and then end up taxidermied in a manner I wouldn't approve of. Like, croquet is okay, but anything Republican-related, not so much. All right. I I feel like if you are being washed ashore someplace that would not recognize a you, they probably also would not recognize a Republican party. Probably, but you never know. So you're probably safe at least there. <laughs> I just can't um, that rat. <laughs> just. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I can go along with you on that. Um, I would not like to die under glass. Oh, no. Oh, no, because he would suffocate. In any oh. way that you might decide to imagine that, I would not like to. Thanks. Yeah, no, there's, yeah, there's a couple of ways that could happen, none of which are pleasant, and I can totally, that's a nope, that's a nope. Yeah, just not, not here for it. Yeah. No. So, do you want to be spooky internet friends? Yes. We are Bones and Bobbins on all of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, TikTok, Pinterest, all of the places. Or you can just hit us up at bonesandbobbins.com. Yes. And don't forget, 
while you're doing that to write and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins. And that's how we show up in recommendations so the other Morbid Souls can find us. And someone did post a review saying how they would not like to die (gasps) um, over this past week. Uh, Now now I gotta look for it. Bring forth the Morbid Souls! Uh, if I, it's, there's just so much happening. And by so much, I mean, I'm not looking at the right (laughs) It's fine, 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 fine. Oh, here it is. Okay. It says, uh, and this is on the Valentine's You Want and... Oh, wait. No, that that's the title of the review. The review is Season 3, Episode 2, Valentine's You Want and Don't Want. And it's a five-star review from Ooh. Hippie Rabbit Fish. Aww. Um, And it says, Haley and Natalie take us on journeys through interesting topics all the time and always relevant to the time. Botched anesthesia for any sort of procedure is an unexpected way to die, which makes it one of the worst ways to die because no one is really quite prepared for it to happen. So, there we go. That is an excellent one, Hippie Rabbit Fish. And thank you for the five stars. Yes, thank you. We appreciate it. We like you five times more than other people. (laughs) I do believe this is not the first first review that they have left ah so we will take all of the reviews exactly so many hard eyes at you yes indeed and Uh on that note let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget never never ever lock your doors And don't run with scissors. (laughs) Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.